0: Can you remain standing for a moment as we for the reading of God's Word In many traditions when they read the Gospels they, they the congregation will typically stand for reading of the Gospels Mark chapter 14 verse 12 to 31 on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb Jesus disciples asked him Where do you want us to go and make preparation for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things, just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened. And one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It's one of the twelve, he replied. One who dips bread into the bowl with me, the Son of Man will... Will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body. When he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my body of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And the others said the same The reading of the word of the Lord. You may be seated. To all God's beloved who are called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're wondering, if you're here today, you are a saint of God. That, that opening line is not, of course, it's found, in, uh, it's found from the book of Romans with Paul, but it's, if you are a person here today, I declare to you, you are a saint. My wife of 45 years is with me today. Um, Olive, she's sitting out here in front, I'm also a grandfather of one grandson who lives with my son-in-law and daughter. If you're a grandparent here, you know exactly what I mean. I introduce my grandson who happens to be, my daughter happens to live with uh, my grandson. He's six years old. He's a mini-me. I love him. His name is Jameson when he before he was born uh choosing a name was a difficult was 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 difficult for both my uh, son in law and my daughter they They had some difficulty well they didn't they didn't arrive at a name until almost the last moment um i i I was teaching at Providence at the time and I'm now retired, but I had a class of students I even had a contest with the students. I said, "My daughter needs help. she's looking for a name that will stick to her grandson. And so uh, I offered it to the class. I said, if you can choose a name that she actually takes, I'll give you, I forget what the prize was, but I have some kind of prize. I don't know. Maybe I'll give you an A in the class or something. I don't know. Probably not that. But um, uh, unfortunately, no one got the name right. Uh, But they did decide at at near the end, Jameson would be his name. Not Jay. They're quite clear about that. It's not Jay. It's not James. It's not going to be Jamie. It's Jameson. His name is Jameson. He's six years old. He lives in Colorado Springs, so I don't get to see him too often. But twice, two or three times a year, we try to get down to Colorado. We were there for Christmas this past year. And I started telling him, whenever I, I leave him, and I, I'd heard, I read this someplace, and I just thought this is a, a great little habit. So when I left him in Colorado back in January, January I forget second, third, fourth, I can't remember when we left exactly. When you retired, all days kind of blur, and it's it's a mess. I don't I don't know. Today is Sunday, right? Um, when I left him, um, <laughs> uh, I, I I tell him two things. Jameson, remember who you are, you're Jameson. And Jameson, remember whose you are, you're a child of God. And one of these days, he's going to say to me, I've just started this practice, and I said it two or three times over Christmas. One of these days, he's going to say, I'm going to say to him, Jameson, remember who you are, and he's going to say, Jameson. And Jameson, remember whose you are, and he's going to say, I'm a child of God. I'll tell you one of the names that was never considered. Judas. Uh, I don't know of anybody named Judas. Uh, There are some names, uh, Judas, uh, Hitler, I don't know of anybody named a Hitler. There are some names that are so associated with something that is evil, if you'd like, that um, nobody wants to grab onto that name. It might surprise you today. While there are, I don't know of anybody that's named Judas, um, Judas was a very common name in biblical times. It was a very common name. In fact, Judas shares one of the most glorious names in Jewish history. Judas is actually a Greek form of Judah, which means to praise. The fourth son of uh, Jacob's fourth son, Judah, which becomes the most important tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel. Judas is simply the Greek name of Judah. Another interesting thing that as I was thinking about this sermon today, I was reading in the text, and I never read this before, um, we know the story, of of course, of Judas, and he betrays Jesus, and... And uh, we know the story of Peter and his denial of Jesus. But then there was one line that caught my attention when I was preparing for this. You will all fall away, it says. All of you. Not just Judas, not just Peter, not, but, he, but Jesus is quite clear. You're all going to fall away in the next few days, weeks, months, years. And we all say, not I, we say it won't be me. Truth is, we know little about Judas. We can only speculate what Judas was thinking when he betrayed Jesus. Uh, there is a, a gospel of Judas that was found in and around the year 1970. An archaeological dig came up with one of these ancient uh, manuscripts, of, uh, and it's entitled The Gospel of Judas. Now, uh, scholars date the document that they found to about the 3rd, 4th century. Uh, at least the copy that we have is about the 3rd, 4th century. And uh, it is probably a copy of something else. And so we're not entirely sure when this, when this uh, gospel account of Judas uh, was initially written. We're not even sure of the author of the... But it's been, it's been quite an interesting find. And it, and it was found in 1970, and it kind of bounced around... Um, from hand to hand, and nobody really took notice of it until about the year 2000. And then suddenly scholars found this document, and, and there's been a lot of hoopla about this gospel of Judas. Now, it's, it's generally considered a very Gnostic gospel, which means probably nothing to the people that are here, uh, except it is interesting in this light. It does suggest a motive behind um, the actions of Judas in betraying Jesus in this particular account that we are so familiar with. It, it suggests that Judas is Judas at least in this. This, this is not part of the Bible. It's, it's a gospel account because it's telling the story of Jesus from a particular point of view, and, and it didn't make the it didn't make the final cut to make it into the Bible. And we can be rest assured of that, but it does suggest that Ju- at least here, Judas is trying to save Jesus from Jesus itself. And you say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, here's, here's what Judas is, is concerned with. And I thought this was interesting. Apparently, Judas is saying, Jesus, we've been following you. We know you've got the goods. Like, you're, you're the Son of God. Start behaving like the Son of God. Let me be your campaign manager in, in, in effect. You know, if you just stepped up, Jesus, just think of all the good we could do. If we just start, I know we're, we're periodically, we touch, you touch this person, you touch that person, and they're healed. Great. We can make a campaign of this. Like if we had a big tent and, 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 and brought all the people in, just think of what we could do. People would be attracted. You've got this power, you're the Son of God. Start behaving like the Son of God. Stop being so human. Stop being so human. Be the, the Almighty God that that we that we've come to know. Like I believe in you. Now you just gotta believe in yourself, Jesus. And of course, Judas no longer, no sooner does that and so he's, he's betraying Jesus in as much as he really believes that Jesus will rise up and defeat the enemies and, and, and he won't be crucified. He won't let himself die. Then he realizes, of course, no sooner as he's done it, that you know, Jesus has got his own plan. He's following his own path. That's not part of his plan. And so then I was thinking out loud to myself or as I was preparing for this, um, I, there, there's a spirit of Judas that's alive and well in the church today. There's a spirit of Judas that we, I'm intimately involved with. I, mean, I know there's a spirit of Judas in three different ways. Like, I see the spirit of Judas, if you'd like, uh, alive and well in our church today. One is, is, is an effort often by very well-meaning individuals in the church wanting to save Jesus. From Jesus himself, it's not unlike Judas. They also there's a spirit of Judas in as much as wanting to save the church from itself, and wanting to save Christianity from itself. I, I, I um, when I was a teenager, I was living in Saint John's, Newfoundland. I grew up in Montreal, but I moved with my parents as a teenager in the early seventies, and. Um, you may recall the, the musical that came out in 1973, actually it was a play, a Broadway play in 1969, then the, uh, the, the movie came out, uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. Now it was completely like foreboding in Newfoundland at the time, like it was considered a, a major sin if you, if you as a church person went and saw this blasphemous film, The Jesus Christ Superstar. But I was a teenager at the time, and of course that's what teenagers do. So are you sure I, I went and saw the film as a teenager? <laughs> um, I don't know how I got by my parents at the time, but I do remember seeing the film. And, and it's interesting, the opening song of uh, the film, Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, it's really a story told from the perspective of Judas in many respects. And there's a, a song that begins called Heaven is on Their Minds, at the beginning of Jesus Christ Superstar. It goes, I will just read parts, of it. I won't be singing it <laughs> Uh, It's not my gifting. (laughs) My mind is clear now. It's interesting. At last, all too well, I can see where we all soon will be. If you strip away the myth from the man, you will see where we will all soon be. Jesus, you started to believe the things they say of you. You really do believe this talk of God is true, and all the good you've done will soon get swept away. You've begun to matter more than the things you say. Listen, Jesus. I don't like what I see. All I ask is that you listen to me. Remember, I've been your right-hand man all along. You have set them all on fire. They think they found the new Messiah, and they'll hurt you when they find that they're wrong. I remember when this whole thing began. No talk of God. Then we called you a man. And believe, you, believe me, my admiration for you hasn't died. But every word you say today gets twisted around some other way, and they'll hurt you if they think you've lied. I won't read the rest of it. Well, that's just a, a musical, and, and some might consider it heresy. Um, but that same spirit is alive and well within the church today. Let me give you some illustrations. Jesus... Growing up, uh, I grew up in a a Pentecostal church um, in Montreal. Parents are uh, were Pentecostal. I'm like third generation Pentecostal, and and it was driven into me that, that that this isn't about church; it's about having a personal relationship with Jesus, a personal relationship. I still believe that. I believe that with all my heart, mind, and soul. It's about having a personal relationship with Jesus. Unfortunately, at the same time, and I've been a pastor for 12 years, I've been teaching for 26, 27 years, I don't know exactly. We, we do have a tendency sometimes, a personal relationship is not about using the other individual. We don't use each other. We don't use each other in as much as it's not like it's not like a, you have a you have an uncle who's very rich, and you want to have a personal relationship with him. Well, well, we go out for dinner. You know, well, he's really rich. He'll he'll pay for me. Right? We we use that individual for our own benefits. We got a relationship with Jesus. Well, Jesus, you kind of well. I know you don't owe me anything, but I need something right now. I need a healing. I need this. I need that. We don't treat friends, we don't use, they don't become friends very long. They don't stay friends very long if we use them for our own needs. And sometimes I worry that as a church, we have a habit of using Jesus. We pray to Jesus. All that stuff is good. But we can end up using Jesus for my ends, for my family, for my purposes, and then I wonder, have we, have we adopted perhaps the spirit of Judas? Judas, Jesus, like, I trust you. I believe you. Now, st- we step up. Let the world see your divine side. We have a hard time with the humanity of Jesus. It is a relationship. It's not a contract that we have with Jesus. Well, sometimes we use that same uh, mentality in the church. I find it fascinating that, well, we know this to be true. He, Jesus got himself into trouble so often. Why? Because he hung around marginalized people. And the disciples and others were saying, Jesus, you know, we, let's move on. We're like, somebody touched me, or, or at least I'm going to stop at the tax player's house. Tax, Payer's house, Zacchaeus, or, or there's this person or that person. Jesus was forever hanging around marginalized people. And the disciples were always, oh, Jesus, no, like, there's, there's, there's more important people, more important places, there's better people to go see. But Jesus was f- forever hanging around marginalized people. I worry sometimes that the church, the church can be a great social club. It can be a great social club. It can do a lot of good things. A church can be a great social club. Attend it, uh, and we hear of the rules. These are the kinds of people we want in our social club. Any social club has a list of recommend. well, they, they only accept people that they want. So you, you have, uh, you know, some social groups, men only, or women only, or, or this or that. Uh, The church was always intended to be all are welcome kind of place. All are welcome. If all are not welcome, it's not a church, it's a social club. I was at a conference several years ago, I was invited um, to speak at a conference of pastors, and I was asked to speak on reading the Bible, and uh, did that, was on the evening, and uh, here's, here's how I approach the Bible, i reading the Bible. And the next day was going to be questions and answers. And I sort of prepared myself, what kind of questions are they going to answer? I'm going to ask, and, and so I was thinking about questions and responses. And I, I kind of guessed the first question, and it was the first question. They're going to ask about the LGBTQ community. The next day, well, what about this group of people? How do, how do we respond to that? And here was my answer don't know if it was a popular answer, but I believe it's a, what Jesus, something Jesus would have said. Not that I'm Jesus. <laughs> I said, here's the situation. It's a pastoral question. I don't have all the answers here. I said, here's, here's the situation. You have a married lesbian couple who comes to your church. They have two children. They knock on your door. How do you respond? You have two choices. You either close the door and say... You're not welcome here. Here are some preconditions before you can come in, whatever those happen to be. Or you invite them in and you put down four more plates for them. Those are your two choices. And if you close the door, the question I ask, are you still a church? Are you still a church? You could be a great social club. But I wonder if you're still a church. I wasn't asked back to that conference. <laughs> no, I don't, no idea, but um, but I still hold that we we a church is a place where all are welcome. All are welcome. Jesus was a bit of a scandal in his day, and he hung around the marginalized, and he would do the same thing today. But we try too often. Again, try to. To restrict the church, uh, we're going to take we're going to participate in a few moments to communion. And I got my little cup as I came in here, or whatever these things are. <laughs> I, I remember growing up as a as a teenager again in Newfoundland, and you know it was, it was the big. They would always read the First Corinthians eleven passage in, 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 in communion, and there's always that line in there uh, about worthy unworthy unworthiness. In, uh, and, and it was big in the 70s that, uh, you know, by the time the pastor was finished with it, everybody was feeling unworthy and nobody took communion. No, it wasn't quite that bad. But, um, but you were made to feel like a worm, like I did anyways as a teenager. And I saw the movie Jesus Christ Superstar. I certainly didn't take communion that week. Um, I probably had repenting to do. So... Um, Uh, I and I I I reject that whole that whole notion today. The only way the only the only way that you are unworthy to take communion is when you think you're worthy. When you think you're worthy. When you God and I, you know, we're tight. God needs me. We're all unworthy. I mean, that's the whole point. We're all unworthy in and of ourselves. We've all, as Jesus said in here, you're all going to fall away. But here's the good news, of course. Jesus kept chasing after his disciples. He kept, he didn't fall away. He kept after them. But we all fall away. We all mess up. We're all, but Jesus didn't turn his back on his disciples. And we can have a whole discussion about what happened to Judas, and that's above my pay grade, but but Jesus was, he's after us. He's pursuing us. Well, the only reason we I would think that we would be unworthy is when we think we are worthy in and of ourselves. It's you know this this whole question about uh, inclusion, exclusion, and all that kind of stuff. It is a tougher question for people of my generation. I'm a I'm a I'm a boomer. I'm a boomer. I'm only the last of the boomers, so I'm 65 years of age. And, and boomers, by and large, have been drawbridges up. What I mean by that is drawbridges up. I read this in, in the Economist magazine, actually. Divided generations between boomers or drawbridges up. We like to have our neat little categories, neat little boxes, and, 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 not, and not be terribly inclusive. Millennials, as the Economist magazine goes on, it says, Millennials, by and large, are drawbridge is down. They, they are more willing to open up their hearts, their lives, their, their, their institutions to the broader community, whatever that happens to be. And, that's, and the Economist wasn't even talking about religious circles, but it was talking about, in terms of economy and everything else, um, but it's the same thing. I, I've witnessed the same thing in the church over and over again that uh, my students, you know, the issues that, that, that my generation has and the issues that my students had at Providence University College was completely different. Completely different. I would have long discussions with some of the professors and they would say, because I'm teaching biblical studies, this is what we got to do. We got to, you know, exclude these people, whoever these people happen to be. And I'm saying, well, they don't have those issues. And to be honest, Jesus didn't have them either. The spirit of Judas uses, sometimes Jesus uses the church, and of course also uses Christianity. And I won't won't, uh, dwell on this. I'll just simply say that, uh, of course, um, you know, there's, there are those that would think that if we just elect the right people to government, then we'll save Christianity. Tain't so. <laughs> history has a long history. I mean, history has demonstrated from the time of Constantine that as soon as we mix the, the politics with the church, bad things happen. It's like oil and water. They don't mix very well. And, um, and I could wax eloquent on that, um, for a long time, but I'm not going to bother. I want to share with you, uh, in closing here, my early Judas moment. I wrote it down some time ago because this is something that is close to me and I, I, I could tell the story verbatim, but it's difficult for me. So I write it down so I can get through it. My early Judas moments. I, I I think I, I really believe I, I have an idea, an understanding of what Judas was all about. It was May 1981. My upper room was Evangel Pentecostal Church, downtown Toronto. Before it burned down, actually. <laughs> the occasion was ordination. On that night, I was ordained to the ministry. Yes, I, a pompous fool, became a minister. No, not inside the church. That upper room was far too sanitized for such a miracle to occur. It did not occur under the gaze of ecclesiastical eyes and under the weight of solemn hands performing their dutiful accompaniment to the rites of prayer. No, it occurred where life spills out on the floor. It occurred on the steps outside of Evangelical Church. The service was over. All that would be said had been said. I now had credentials. As I stepped outside on those steps accompanied by my wife and two close friends, it was time for a celebration. Surely there must be a Swiss chalet close by. But the words no sooner left my mouth when a man, a smelly, unkept, indigenous, inebriated stranger accosted me on those steps. He touched me. He said in a drunken stupor, I want to go into the church. I want to see Jesus. He said, I want to see Jesus, I thought. When all of a sudden my whole body began to betray me, my nose began picking up the scent of roasting barbecue chicken. My legs became suddenly tired. I'd been standing too long. My mind was charged with with irrationalizations. He is drunk. It's too late to see Jesus. I'm tired. I witnessed best on the full stomach. A thousand thoughts converged into one sentence. He's not there, I said. Now that was a smart answer. Then betrayal. A smile rounded itself on my friend's lips. Would the, tr- would the stranger see that? As if the stranger were reading my thought, he exploded. With a litany of profanity it was clear that he was not impressed by my answer and that we were the focus of his wrath. Perhaps it would be a good time to ask if he was interested in spiritual things. No, he had responded, even though I never asked the question. I want to see Jesus, he said. Time froze. There was only one thing left to do. With all the dignity of a weasel, I walked away. Quote, And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest, and turned away. And immediately when he spake, yet spake the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Listen to the dummy. The Lord himself said, drinking to the stinking is drink to me. Someone more educated may have learned that by reading it, but it is a theme made real too often in experience alone. On a cool night in May 1981, the Lord himself ordained me to the ministry. But it did not come through accolades, but was born out of absolute failure, miserable failure. It was there on the steps of that brooding church that I tasted for the first time. Servanthood. That without Christ, I am nothing. And in Christ, everything. And that has been... I've kept that in front of me for better for worse... <laughs> to shape my thinking and understanding of ministry all these 40 years that I've been involved in different ways. I know I'm that close, that marginal edge from the spirit of Judas. But my hope and my reason I keep going is because Jesus keeps pursuing me. He has never given up on me. He has never given up on you. What is your name? Who is, who do you belong to? You are children of God. And he's after you. He's going to pursue you. That's the hope that we have. The hope eternal.